Well, good morning. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And what a wonderful time to get together and worship the Lord. Amen. I was thinking about this uh, throughout the weekend, about this moment right now. And there, I think we just kind of get in the groove. We get in a routine of coming to this place. And it's good. It's fun. Uh, and it's, it's good for us. But man, what, what cool moments we have together in this place. And I just wanted to, to mention that, make sure we, uh, we recognize that. And, and we're ready for what God's going to do this morning. So here we go. We're going to continue on in Daniel this morning. Uh, we've been talking about Daniel for weeks now. In fact, we're in chapter 6 today. But last week, Andy did an incredible job talking through, preaching through, examining chapter 5. And he basically explained uh, the writing on the wall, literally, the writing on the wall for Babylon. We saw uh, a, a prideful leader in his foolishness fall prey to Satan's schemes, and they lost their kingdom. I loved all the detail last week of how fortified that city was and how robust the empire was, because it was a good reminder when it fell that uh, man is not in control of anything. Amen? <laughs> and we just see another example of how uh, a man and a kingdom fell prey to their own pride and to Satan's schemes. And, and uh, we have another, we have another uh, kingdom rise up, and we're going to talk about that today. But one thing that Andy said last week that was profound to me uh, was just a statement. It's very simple, and that's probably why it's profound, because again, we can, we can live our days in and out and kind of forget what this life is all about. And he simply said this, being a Christian means you know and follow God. Do you remember that? Being a Christian means you know and follow God. Simple. But there's two pieces to it. The first is know God. What does it mean to know God? Well, to know his love for you, to know the, the story of grace and redemption, to know maybe by life experience what he can do in your life or how he can rescue you from things in your life. Or maybe you've seen it on display in others, to know God. And we continually seek to know God more and more every single day. But I love action steps. Um, one thing I don't really like is going to meetings that don't have any kind of like follow up or follow through. You ever been there where you're like, what just happened? <laughs> what are we doing? And it's the same here, or when you have a, a meeting with, with God, there's, there's follow through, there's something that we need to do in response to knowing this incredible message of grace, the gospel message, and that's following him. Much like the disciples we saw in the New Testament, they dropped everything in their lives and they followed him because they recognized that this was worthwhile. It was something that could change their lives forever. So it's within this idea of knowing and following God on a personal level that we enter into our theme this morning, our chapter this morning. Again, we see another kingdom rise from the ashes of another one being conquered. We see another leader contend with their own tendency for pride. And then we see Daniel. Now, the reason I think Daniel doesn't get old is because he is like the poster child of God's consistency. In fact, many have said that he's a symbol of God's kingdom, just stable and consistent, no matter what the circumstance. Now, diving into this chapter, I would be remiss if I didn't mention probably what you think immediately when you hear about the book of Daniel, and that is what? It's an animal, a lion, right? A lion, this powerful creature in nature. It's this, this ominous presence. Oh. 
right? Has anybody ever seen a line up close and personal? Man, uh, maybe in the zoo, uh, they've got like a wildlife thing you can do in uh, South, Southern Oregon. But man, lions are incredible, right? And we're not gonna camp out on that today uh, necessarily, but I did wanna make sure that we understand uh, just the, the gravity and the, the fear and the weight of a test that Daniel is going to endure later on in this chapter today. But really what this chapter is all about, this chapter is all about God's faithfulness. It's about consistency of serving. It's about being tested in faith. And it's about God using Daniel and us to glorify himself. This morning, plain and simple, we're talking about trusting God. And specifically in our our series, it's trusting God through religious opposition. Now, this is something we want to do, right? We want to trust God with our, our lives. Can you give me a nod if you agree with that? It's, yeah, we want to we trust God with our lives, like day in, day out. Wouldn't it be awesome if, if we were faced with this kind of a trial where, hey, if you worship God and you don't cease, even for a moment, uh, you're going to get murdered, basically. We're going to throw you into your eminent doom. And wouldn't it be nice to just be like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> Man, to have trust and faith like that would be incredible. But here's the thing. <clears throat> Daniel didn't just one day wake up and face this giant of a trial. In fact, I would say that the trial probably manifested itself every day when he had a choice to either lean into the Lord and worship him or not. And what's cool is that we have those same opportunities every single day when we wake up. And so we're going to talk about that in depth as well. Daniel's whole life is a culmination of these tests, whether small and in private or big and in public, whether life-threatening or just life is a routine. So how do we get to this place where we can trust God with everything? Well, I think it's wrapped up in a word, and that word is faithfulness. Faithfulness. How would you define faithfulness? What, what does it look like to you? Uh, I'm a big dog guy. I love dogs. Uh, I, I guess I fit in and bend. There's a lot of dogs around bend. Um, but you think of man's best friend, right? My dad always used to make a joke. He's like, you know, dogs are uh, the man's best friend who has the treat in his hand. And it's like, okay, dad, <laughs> whatever. Uh, but dogs are faithful. They're there for you. Maybe you think of a sunrise or a sunset. You know, it's coming, it's faithful, kind of this cadence and pattern rhythm that God has created in our, our universe and in our, our world. Maybe you think of a marital relationship. You think of being faithful to your spouse or, you know, vice versa. Or maybe you think of a good friend, a faithful friend that's been there through thick and thin. The definition of faithfulness is remaining true and steadfast to something or someone. Remaining true and steadfast to something or someone. No matter how you define it, I think a common characteristic of a faithful person is definitely consistency. Would you agree with that? be consistent, be faithful. Uh, I have a good friend. His name is Brian Moore. Ironically, I wrote this without talking to him and he called me this morning. He's that faithful of a friend. And uh, I said, hey man, I'm talking, to you about, I'm talking about you this morning. Is that okay? He's <laughs> like, sure. Uh, <laughs> but he's a, uh, he's a, he's a character. He's a, he's a big guy, uh, lovable. He's like a teddy bear. And he uh, worked for years in the timber industry over near the coast uh, by Florence in the Sayusla Valley. 
And his, his life story has been one of waking up early and hitting the grindstone and working hard and being dedicated to his craft, no matter what he's doing. Well, years into his, uh, his commitment to working in the timber industry, God called him out of that and actually called him into the pastorship. And so he's a pastor out there and he is a pastor of a church whose attendance actually exceeds the population of his town. Can you believe that? It's amazing. And uh, his dedication and his, his habit of waking early didn't go away. It just translated into, into something more intentional. And every single morning he wakes up and he opens his Bible and he finds a spot in his house and he, and he reads. And I'm glad he called me this morning because I said, hey, what's your number of year, or what's your number of times that you've gone through the scriptures cover to cover? And in my notes, I wrote 20 plus, which is an impressive number. The Bible is a large book. He has read the Bible 47 times. And he's like, I'm going for 50. <laughs> it's like, are you telling me that you're planning on leaving this earth? What are you, you're gonna get 50, man, come on. But he's so dedicated and has created such a habit of connecting and knowing the Lord, it's inspiring. And it, it, it brings about this conversation of our daily lives, right? We have ups, we have downs, we have exciting moments, we have kind of lulls in our schedule. Um, and then we have these in-betweens where, where we create routines. Now, something interesting that I read is that uh, with much study and, and, and much observation, the great minds of our time and of past, um, they all have a consistency to them. And that consistency is their rigidity and schedule. They were, uh, they were very rigid in the way that they scheduled and created habits within their lives because when we create habits in our lives, we create margins, which then we're able to be successful and focused on and, and really kind of lean into the things that God has created us to do. Whether you, you know, believe that God is, is actually the source of your uh, power and strength or not, I think that there's value to this idea of creating healthy, maybe I could even say holy, Habits, And I think within these holy habits, we start to create a pattern of trusting God by leaning into those things that he's called us to do in our lives and following his plan. It's exactly what my friend Brian was doing. So whatever your definition of faithfulness or your commitment to these holy habits, the fact remains that our trust in God is tested by how we know and follow him on a daily basis. Amen? When faced with moments to trust God, what do we do? See, when you create a habit, you almost have this instinct, whichever way you've created that habit. So you can create bad habits too. None of us have any of those, right? <laughs> but when you lean into those habits that you've created, hopefully the answer to that question, how do you trust God in your daily life is instantly. All right, you know, hey, we've been here before. It's gonna be fine. But unfortunately, it's kind of like almost popular in our world today to get all wound up, to get anxious and to get worried and to consider all the options and our cons lists are longer than our pros lists. And before we know it, we've created a pattern of negative thought and that's exactly how we respond. We don't, we don't respond in trust, we respond with worry and doubt. And so hopefully we can fix that today. And this comes about with a really simple question. How strong is your faith in God? I do want us to take a pause for a moment. I want you to think about that question. How strong is your faith in God? Do you trust him in big things, big decisions, things that are out of your control? 
Do you trust him in the little things? When you wake up in the morning, maybe when you go to bed at night? See, the unique thing about our trust in God is that it's a living thing. And what I mean by that is that it grows, it learns, it's challenged, it can weaken, it can strengthen. But in the end, we must remember that trusting God is the best choice. And we're gonna look at how we can grow in our trust through a few examinations and a few things that we can know. And the first thing that we're gonna look at is knowing God. Knowing God will help us grow in our trust. So what do you know about God? What do we know about God? What do you know about his character, his work, his motives? Well, we sung about some of them this morning. And if you were singing, that, that kind of means you agree with them. So we, we know that he, uh, he provides breakthroughs in our lives through his spirit. We know that he is consistent. We know that he can move mountains. We know that he loves us. Now, knowing these things, there's like a, a no, like, oh, I know. And then there's like, I know that I know. We, we receive it in our heart, and that's the hard part. You know, when we, uh, when we had our first baby, Gray, I was a nervous wreck. So that might not surprise some of you. Um, it's like a switch came on. It's like my dad worry. My friend calls it being a worry warrior, <laughs> which is a tongue twister. But I'm the worry warrior for my kids. I don't know what it is. Um, but when we went and visited uh, our, our doctor in my spirit, and maybe even sometimes out loud, I was questioning uh, her, her knowledge. Like, are you sure about that? You know, do we really want to do that? Or is she okay? You know, just like freaking out. And uh, then I realized, and it, you know, uh, like every good spouse, um, I, I realized through a conversation with my wife and really her telling me like, relax, uh, that the, the acronyms after this doctor's name mean something. They're called credentials and she's like an expert. So just be quiet and trust, right? Oh, man, it's hard to trust, especially when you have something so cute um, that is in your care right? <laughs> Man, it makes me nervous just looking at that photo. <laughs> Can't believe we made it this far. Woo. Anyway, the reason I bring this up is because God, just like our OB, has credentials. He's got acronyms. He's got the plaques on the wall. He's walked the walk. He's done all the things. And yet we still, I still say, are you sure that that's right. And unfortunately, I don't just say it, I live it out sometimes. You see, not only does he have credentials, he has the right and the privilege, and he does this, he has the right and the privilege to test our trust. Man, the things that he allows us to go through, and we praise him for it, because our trust grows. And once we go through those things with him, then we know. We know that God can get us through those things. We know that he is faithful. We're gonna jump into our passage this morning, but as always, before we do, I'd love to pray and ask for God's covering. Lord, thank you for this time that we have to come together and examine your word. Lord, would you illuminate it in only the way that you can? Holy Spirit, would you communicate to us in a personal way and speak to us through your word this morning? I pray these things in your name, amen. Okay, as mentioned, we're in chapter six, starting out in verse one. Here we go. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. 
and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Okay, so we have this intro. We see this new leader on the scene, Darius, and that's actually where we're gonna start our examination of the scripture today. Darius is an interesting character. And when you read at face value, you wanna know this, but in further investigation, we see that uh, it's unclear who Darius is. Now, obviously the scriptures tell us that he, uh, is, he's over the kingdom. Uh, but let's, let's just call out a few things that we know about Darius just from reading the scriptures. The first is that uh, he is a Mede. All right, his nationality is, he is a Mede and he's 62 years old. We find that in Daniel 5, verse 31 at the end of the last chapter. The second thing is that we see that he, he reigned uh, uh, once the Medo-Persian empire took over, which is approximately 539 BC. And we also know just from uh, historical records, uh, non-biblical, that we really don't have a record of this man. Now, if you're anything like me, you might start to get a little bit uncomfortable, like, oh boy, are we getting into like an argument here? Well, we're not gonna get into an argument, but I wanna, I wanna offer up a few theories of why uh, this occurred. Now, the interesting thing, before we get into the theories, is that we're talking about a chapter that is examining our trust in God and his word. And right out the gate, the world is already trying to put into question whether or not this scripture is fallible or not. All right, it's real, <laughs> it's happening. So let's look at these theories. Uh, the first is that we just don't know who Darius is. And honestly, that shouldn't worry us because we have a lot of holes and gaps in our ancient history account, especially with specifics like people, times, dates, things like that. So, you know, it's kind of a soft theory. We just don't, we just don't know who he is. He's in the Bible, but uh, we don't know who he is historically. The second, and this is the most intriguing to me, the second is that uh, Darius was actually Cyrus the Persian. It was just a, a kind of almost like a, a throne name for him, Darius. Uh, they were approximately the same age, these accounts of these men in the 60s, and they were both related to the Medes. Uh, the distinguishing of Darius the Persian is found in Nehemiah 12.22. Uh, also to connect to this thought, in the end of this chapter, we see an interesting sentence structure, specifically in the original Hebrew. And there's a word that's kind of suspect and the word is and, all right? And that word and in other scriptural uh, structures can sometimes read that is. And so instead of it reading and, it could read uh, something like, where am I? There I am. It could read like during the reign of Darius, that is the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, we're convinced that Cyrus the Persian was the great instrument to bring Babylon to its end. And we see that in Isaiah 45.1. So we have some, we have some uh, reasons to believe that that might be a, uh, a theory worth receiving. And then the last is that uh, he actually wasn't a king. He was just a governor. It was kind of a softer term for king. Now, here's the deal. Regardless of where you might land on this, and I, you know, I don't have a, a one, two, or three that I'm calling my own. Um, it's ironic, again, that the trust of Scripture is being put into question because ultimately when we trust God with our lives, uh, we're trusting that His Word is correct. We're trusting that His Scriptures are infallible. It kind of goes hand in hand. And I think it's funny that um, 
there's these new leaders on every street corner, it seems like, in Scripture, and they're, they're, they come and they go, and uh, I don't really want to spend any more time talking about a man. I want to talk about God. I want to talk about how he actually was there the whole time and uh, that he has inspired this word and that he remains. Amen? Okay. But I did want to point that out because it's, it's something, it's, it's pretty interesting. And the thing that I want to say about God right now is that God is consistent, he is strong, and he is immovable. The second part of verse one, we have another element of interest, and that is this kingdom, all right? We have this kingdom that is mentioned. So Babylon was a mighty kingdom. If you remember with me a couple chapters ago, it was like one of the greatest superpowers the world had ever seen. It apparently was indestructible, impenetrable. Uh, all right, cool. Well, now we see that that wasn't true. And now the Medo-Persians have taken over. And uh, there's two maps I want to show you. The one on the right is Babylon. It's kind of a zoom in, so it's, it, it, the scale doesn't work, but you can kind of see the red outline area, uh, use the, the seas as an anchor. Um, so the one on the right is Babylon. The one on the left is uh, the Medo-Persian Empire. It's like double in size. And what's interesting, I wish that there was media out there where it would show kind of the, uh, the path of history. These empires just grow and shift, and they're still growing and shifting, right? Now, why am I bringing this up? Well, if you remember with me back in chapter four, verse 17, it says the most high rules, the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives to whom he will. For some reason, these guys still think that they're in control, but God is in control. God is consistent, strong, and immovable. The third interesting element of this first passage is the organization of uh, the kingdom. Now, you might not think it's super interesting, but I do. So in my business background, I love org structure. I love uh, how organizations can work. And so I love the fact that, oh, okay, so we got a leader. And then so uh, the organization is basically Darius. And then we have these three uh, high advisors. I call them high guys, all right? One of which is Daniel. And then... 120 satraps or officials or governors underneath, okay? Now, that's, that's an impressive amount of uh, officials or managers. And I love, I lo again, I love the fact that um, the, these things work together. And the reason this structure was put together, if you saw in the, the passage, it said so that the king would suffer no loss. So with a new kingdom, I'm sure there was, there was deceit, there was kind of misinformation. And so all of these men were kind of representations of the, the leader and the kingdom. And so they were put in place so uh, that this kingdom wouldn't fall apart. Now, what I wanna point out is Daniel. The fact that he is like top executive, right? He's in one of these positions just under the king and the reason that that is so important is because it honestly is a miracle. Daniel was an exile of the original uh, conquering of Judah. And then he was brought into Babylon and he was put in charge politically. And now we see another conquering. And let me tell you, historically what happens is when a kingdom comes in and conquers another, they execute all the leaders. You know why? Because they don't want an overthrow. They don't want people that were dedicated to their past kingdom to try and somehow take it back. And yet, <laughs> we have this political leader 
put in, put in power, not only power, but high power, not only high power, but we, we see that he takes a place of honor, of power, of control, not only that, but of future. He's climbing the ladder. <laughs> Why? Well, in verse three, we see because he has an excellent spirit within him. This word spirit's interesting. Uh, it's, it's somewhat of a, an animated force behind him. It's the same word that's used for breath or wind, the same kind of word that was used in Genesis when God breathed life into Adam. It's, it's, the, it's the Holy Spirit, right? It's the Spirit of God within him, and, and it's seen. And here's the cool thing. If you think about your life and people you've seen in your life that have an excellent spirit, it's probably that spirit if they're following the Lord. And that transcends these other high leaders that have climbed in other ways. It's encouraging to us as, as followers of Jesus, isn't it? That that can shine through. It's more powerful than us. The other thing about him is that uh, he had a sense of loyalty, not to country, but to the kingdom of God and to his God, right? And I think that's another reason that he was able to move into that position because uh, that was obvious. Now, Here's a funny thing to consider, and I'm not saying uh, this one way or the other, but in this circumstance, if he were to partake in a positive mindset, and I am saying that this is a positive mindset, but patriotism, that might've gotten him killed. But because he was committed to his God first and then country second, he was able to move into this position. I just thought that was really interesting. I read that in the commentary and I thought, wow, that's, that's, a, good, that's a good focus for us especially in this time. So this circumstance points out one other strong point in this, this chapter and also in this book. Uh, kingdom of a man, kingdom of man versus kingdom of God. In the kingdom of man, we see Jerusalem, Babylon, Medo-Persian rise and fall all throughout history. And in the kingdom of God, what do we see? Consistent, powerful, immovable. Another theme that goes hand in hand with this is the kingdom of darkness versus the kingdom of light. And the character and life principles of Daniel lived out, provided providence in any of those circumstances. God provided that providence. So what do we know about God? He is consistent. <laughs> he is powerful. He is immovable. When you know God, your trust in his will will grow. All right. The second thing that I want to consider this morning to, to grow our trust in God is to know our enemy. Know your enemy. Not only that, but know his schemes because he is a scheming dude. When I was little, I've shared, I've shared stories about this sister before and I want to make sure that everybody knows that I love my sister and we have a great relationship now. But like kids do, we fought all the time. And uh, she was the same one that used to steal my cliff bars. Uh, I don't know if you remember that story, but uh, same sister used to just know exactly how to get under my skin. You have a sibling like that? I mean, within like seconds, can I like, come on, you know, like just get you so amped. And the thing that she would say to me, she would always make fun of my appearance. I used to be kind of self-conscious about my, my appearance because uh, I had really big ears and a big nose as a kid. I hadn't grown into them yet. I didn't know that concept back then. So I was like, it's gonna be like this forever. But she used to call me Dumbo. And man, once that word flew, it was on. It could be the front yard, it could be the grocery store, we could be on an airplane, it doesn't matter. Like I'm gonna tackle her. <laughs> 
And it wasn't until I started maturing and, and, and growing up a little bit uh, that I realized that she was just trying to get to me. And it was a scheme of hers to try and get me off, off my game. And so, you know, I can't say that I, I would always ignore it, but I definitely uh, softened to it and realized like, oh, you're just being shallow, right? But it's the same thing with Satan, all right? Now, I'm not gonna minimize his power or make, make light of it. He's, he's a lot smarter than just saying, hey, you're Dumbo, right? He is a, he's a sneaky snake. He's smart, he's cunning. He knows how to get to you. Um, something interesting, I've shared this before, but uh, God speaks to me in repetition. If things throughout my, my life are kind of linking up, um, I know that he's trying to tell me something. And I've been reading through Psalm 23. Uh, and uh, really, it's kind of been reading me. And uh, this phrase that uh, keeps popping up is, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. When I was a kid, I read that and I thought, oh, I don't think I have any enemies. I mean, maybe Marty, because he picks on me in Sunday school and he's really mean. Or like maybe that kid that always like outtouches me when I'm swimming and he, he always wins. He's my enemy, right? No, our enemies are not the people that are negative towards us in our life. It's not Marty, okay? It's not the guy that cut you off on the parkway. It's not the neighbor that is suing you because somehow your kid's Frisbee just keeps ending up on their roof. It is, <laughs> that might be a specific story. <laughs> no, let's be smarter than that because he's smarter than that. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, it tells us that we must know the schemes of the enemy and his schemes are laid out in 1 John 2.16. If you're taking notes, write that down, read through them. And they're this, the lust of the flesh, anything the body wants or needs, he can twist and he can, he can drag us into sin. The second is the lust of the eyes. What we see or what we wish for can be a trap. And then the last is the pride of life, a bragging assertion that we are in control. We know best. Do these sound familiar to you? I mean, in any story, you can at least find one of these where someone has failed in scripture. And honestly, if you look at your life and I look at my life, it's probably one of these three things that drug me down or drug you down. We see this with Eve, the very dawn of, of the fall of man. We see this with Jesus when he's tempted in the wilderness. Luckily, he made it out and didn't sin. Satan wants to get inside our minds so he can take over. I think it's important that we recognize that he is real and he is powerful. But the good news is we know our God and we know he is greater than the one that is in the world. And yet he decides to set this bounty before us, a symbol of his, his uh, providence for our lives, um, the freedom that we experience in him through Jesus. And he sets it not in a vacuum, not in the back room, not in the loft, not in the penthouse, but in the presence of the enemy. Light was not designed to be under a bowl. Light was designed to be on a hill to shine. And so we are in the middle of darkness but it's our decision whether or not we decide to let the enemy have a seat at our table. Daniel's life up to this point, and he was around 85 years old, was full of trust testing, faith growing opportunities. He knew Satan's schemes. 
but he also knew God. And he kept to those habits and he prevailed and did some big things for the kingdom. Let's continue reading on Daniel 6, verse four and five. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could not find, they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Okay. So here's, here's the plot of the attack. They're being used by the enemy. You know, being attacked can sometimes be a good thing. And here's what I mean. I used to play Airsoft. Anybody familiar with that game? It's like soft BBs. It's actually really weird when you think about it to shoot BBs at each other. Um, but <laughs> I used to play with my friends all the time. And uh, I went over to my buddy's house and his dad wanted to play with us. And I was like, all right, Phil, let's do this, man. And we were so close to getting the flag. Um, everybody was on top of us shooting at us. And I was like, oh man, everybody's picking on us. And, you know, they're whizzing over our heads. And, and he looks at me totally serious. And he goes, we are in the perfect place. Being attacked is good. And I was like, what? And he's like, that means that they know we're going to win. And I was like, you are so inspiring right now. Let's do this. You know, so we get the flag and of course we won. It was amazing. <laughs> but here's the point. If you're being attacked by the enemy, it means that you're a threat. Man, how this can turn that on its face. We so often pray, and it's okay to pray this, but Lord, please protect me from my enemies. It's even in, uh, you know, that Psalm that I was referencing. However, we need to realize that God is greater. And if we're being attacked, we're doing something right. So be of great courage, get in that habit. And if anything else, know like any good warrior that your enemy is not a person or a thing, but it's a principality and power. And we have the perfect weapon against it. And so did Daniel. Let's continue on in this passage. Verse six through nine. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any God or man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Oh, King Darius. <laughs> Prideful King Darius. He quickly signed this. I thought it was kind of weird that he didn't uh, consult with one of his high leaders. He just kind of took them for, for you know, uh, their word. It's kind of like leadership one-on-one. -on -one. Like you want to make sure you consult with your leaders and make sure everybody's on the same page. <laughs> uh, quickly rushed into something that uh, was, was set in stone, a law that could not be reversed. It was really, it's a really an interesting thing in this kingdom. Uh, the leaders that set a law in place, they can't revoke it. Once it's set in place, it's set in place. Another thing to know is it was, it was for 30 days, um, the verse seven tells of this 
crazy punishment of being cast into a, a den of lions. Uh, Isaiah tells us that these lions um, would crush bones with the strength. I mean, you saw that one, right? Uh, crush bones with their jaws and devour men. Gruesome. I don't know if I would want to face that, but here's the true cost of this test that Daniel's about to go into. Scripture also tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8, that Satan is a lion seeking to devour us. Now, this is crazy talk, but would you rather, we're gonna play this game, would you rather be devoured by a lion in a moment and live in eternity or be devoured by your eternal enemy and be drugged into an eternity of that? I would rather do neither. <laughs> but here's the thing, we're tested. The test is coming and the cost is really big. And I want us to be ready. This law that can't be changed is really interesting because we see a, a, another law that can't be changed given to Moses. And there is like this beautiful symbolic uh, connection to how condemnation and sin is irreversible except through Jesus, our Savior. There's other things that are solid in this story that can't be changed, like God's love for you, his sovereignty over circumstances, even this circumstance, and how his ways are higher than Satan's ways. Knowing the enemy's schemes deepens our appreciation of God's plan and our trust in his plan. Amen? All right, last thing. <clears throat> we need to know our end game and follow through. In order for our trust to grow, we need to know our end game and follow through. Just like a plan, just like a play in sports, just like a mission for an organization, we need to know what we're doing. And Daniel knew what he was doing. In verse 10, let's continue. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Habit. Immovable. He knew the cost. He knew the cost of disobeying the government, and he also knew the cost of disobeying what he knew was to be right in the eyes of his God. And he chose correctly. What's our end game? What are we doing? Remember what we talked about at the very beginning? To be a Christian is to know and follow God? Why? Aside from just being a good moral person, there's a cost. There's an opportunity cost if we don't. That opportunity is our testimony. And scripture tells us that God overcomes by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And Daniel understood this in a big way because we see this play out at the end of this passage. Let's read this together. Then at daybreak, this is verse 19. Then at daybreak, or break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths 
and they have not harmed me because I found... I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted his God. What do we know about God in this situation? He delivers us. He delivers us from these tests. He delivers us from peril. He brought peace to Daniel. And then we continue this passage. And the king commanded... And those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. This is not a Sunday school lesson. (sighs) I'm not kidding. This was like, this is one of the hardest passages that I've read in a while as I'm thinking through it being a family man and thinking about, man, this is just weird, but it's a sober warning. It's a sobering warning that those that let Satan in, there is no boundaries for the destruction that sin has. That's scary. But here's a miraculous thing that we see. Verse 25 through 28. Then Darius wrote to all the peoples. This sounds familiar. Nebuchadnezzar did the same thing in chapter four. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. He's using his voice, his power. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall never be to the shall be to the end. Excuse me. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius, and or that is the reign of Cyrus the Persian. What was God's end game? Because here's my point. When we know our end game in following, in knowing, in knowing God and knowing our enemies and deepening our trust of God, not only is that going to benefit our lives, but our end game should be God's end game. And it's laid out right here. God's end, end game. He's a living God. He endures forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall never end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders. He brings people to himself through our end game. If we trust and if we obey and if we follow. I'm gonna have the band come out. We're gonna, we're gonna worship, but I wanna leave you with this passage and uh, we are going to take communion in a moment after this song. Uh, but it's, it's found in James 1. Verses two through four. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So I want to ask you a question to ponder. What can you entrust to God today that will strengthen your faith for tomorrow? What are you holding back? What's God calling you to trust him with? Remember, let's know and follow Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much that you, you've got our back. Thank you so much that you prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies, that you are greater than the one that is in the world. Lord, that even though you call us to test our faith and you provide opportunities for us to lean on you, You are so faithful to deliver us. 
So Lord, would you help us as we examine our hearts, as you examine our hearts and we ask you to do so, uh, would you help us learn what it means to trust in a deeper way, to trust you with our, our whole lives. And thank you that we can be in communion with you. And as we worship and as we partake, would you be glorified and would you bless us? I pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's worship.